give a moment. If you're on replay, let me know. Give me a hashtag replay. Um, what's up? Just going to give a moment for uh, some people who've been anticipating this conversation to jump on. Um, I don't normally go live uh, in Instagram, but uh, I'm going simultaneously right now because this conversation is so freaking important right now and uh, we're talking about racism and never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would be speaking about this topic publicly. Um, a lot of new people in our Facebook group uh, on Instagram are live right now and if you are um, wanting to join this conversation uh, my link is in the bio to jump into the trigger proof uh, Facebook group and where we have these discussions basically really the, the, the main purpose of why I'm, I teach what I teach is so that people can get an understanding of how to drastically expand that space between stimulus and response. That's really the most important thing right now. Um, in this day and age uh, where the coronavirus and all the changes are happening, uh, in times of change, the learners shall inherit the earth where the learned will find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that doesn't exist. And I knew in my heart during the coronavirus pandemic that the tools that I was learning about healing my past, of clearing the, the lack of safety feeling in my body, the trauma, healing our past trauma is necessary component to having healthy relationships and then having a healthy body. As a chiropractor, that's why I got into this work. I got into this conversation start from a, purely from a health standpoint. The reason why I teach what I teach right now is because as a doctor, people are coming in to see me for stress-related problems. They're coming in with health-related concerns. Um, and just by adjusting them, I really wasn't getting to the heart of the matter. And I knew that stress and trauma stored in our bodies are going to have a profound impact on our health outcomes. So I knew that if I wasn't educating my patients as well on how to assess, how to self-assess, and how to check in on their thoughts, their beliefs, their expectations about themselves with context to their relationships, we're not really going to get the full measure of healing. It's not going to be as, uh, you know, as good as it, it possibly could be. Um, and so what was really important to me was helping my patients learn the tools to become more resilient, to become more adaptable to stress. And invariably, questions of toxic relationships would come up. It would come up again and again and again. Oh, my husband's at this, my wife did this to me. And so I saw that the stress-related problems that were bringing patients in to see me basically had a uh, uh, relational breakdown component to it and it wasn't until I looked in my own life after a really bad breakup last time it was a toxic relationship and I saw patterns and I did a lot of personal development work cognitively but I hadn't really healed from my trauma in my body I convinced my I was telling the story that I had done the work but my body was telling a different story and unknowingly unconsciously I was showing up in relationships um, as, you know, the narcissist in the narcissist codependent cycle. It was a very painful revelation for me because covert narcissism, 
uh, it pretty much is, is kind of like a, an endemic in society, what I've discovered after I've been studying this at length. Uh, but the problem with narcissism uh, that we all have is that we have blind spots and they, th that the narcissism itself prevents us from being able to observe it. It becomes a blind spot. And there's so much shame and guilt around, especially in today's culture with, the, with, with all of the activism movements going on that really work towards shaming their perpetrators. And rightfully so in those moments when they have unhealed, big um, emotional wounds, they're not scars, they're the activists are speaking out, whether it's women's rights, gay rights, uh, trans rights, black rights, any marginalized population who are speaking from open wounds, not scars, open wounds, are extremely angry and there's the cancel culture and naming and shaming, which is the wounded self wanting to be seen and heard, wanting to be acknowledged, which totally makes sense. The problem is a lot of these activists, from what I've discovered, are coming from a place of wounding themselves. And what that does is that doesn't result in healing. My concern was, okay, I have some covert narcissism going on here. I didn't know that I didn't know, and it didn't start with me. It was a product of my environment growing up, which we are all a product of. Your parents grew up in a time which was spare the rod, spoil the child. Children are to be seen, not heard. So your parents often raise you in that narcissistic way. By default, you are going to uh, grow up not having your emotional needs met, which then causes you to become covert narcissistic. And then you get into, we get into relationships and then these narcissism uh, uh, dynamics start to play and it was an embarrassing moment for me to acknowledge that. It was very difficult for me to acknowledge that. So over the last two years I've been working diligently at removing the trauma from my body because I had already done the cognitive work on changing the stories uh, just to heal from past being bullied. I was a victim of victim of racism. I had low self-esteem as a child because of that. I changed my name from Nima to Nick because I didn't want to be different because I was the only brown kid. So I've known the pain of not loving myself and wanting to hide from my truth because I didn't accept myself for who I am. I mean, we all have a, a story like that, don't we? So this journey led me uh, to understanding and healing with my past younger self, with my wounded inner child. And that was the missing piece in all of the cognitive work I was doing. I was missing the somatic. So I just nerded out on the polyvagal theory, attachment theory, and I've integrated that into my methodology. And now what's really neat is being able to help women, especially, and men who are stuck in the toxic codependent cycle, the narcissistic codependent cycle, and there's the victim, there's the perpetrator, and then there's the savior. The victim, the perpetrator, the savior. The victim, the perpetrator, the savior. And what happens is when you don't know that you're stuck in that cycle, you're constantly playing one after another. You're literally living this cycle of the victim. You're, you, you feel victimized by your oppressor, whether it's the man, whether it's your woman, whether it's your ex, whoever it is, whether it's your boss, um, what will end up happening is you are 
you're now like this victim and you're wanting to be seen by your oppressor or your perpetrator, but that perpetrator oppressor can't see themselves. So you're now stuck in this loop, feeling victimized, angry at that other person and cannot be seen and not realizing that you are now playing the victim in that drama triangle. And then the victim that ends up becoming the perpetrator of either that triangle or another one, and this dance keeps going. And so it was a big revelation that was really controversial because what happened was when I started sharing the story with people and I started sharing my revelations and my work, I got accused of being a victim blamer. I got accused of telling, for example, abused women that they need to do the healing work. I, did a fa I have a Facebook ad that talks about why won't he do the work? You know, this, comp this common complaint I get from many women who are stuck in that victim perpetrator triangle, the narcissist kind of codependent triangle saying, why won't he do the work? He's got to change. He's got to heal his own wounds. And the, the fact is, is that overt, overt and covert narcissism is not easy to solve because the covert or overt narcissist doesn't actually think they have the problem. And by you screaming at them, shaming them, doesn't actually, it does a lot for you because you, you're angry and you get to feel validated from other victims who say, yeah, go girl or go guy, yeah, yeah, take him down, take him down. And that feels good temporarily, but we're still stuck in the triangle and, and not healing. So I've been so privileged to be able to work with women and men who are stuck in that drama triangle. And lo and behold, when they take on their own healing work, and they hold themselves accountable. This is what I do is I hold everyone in the triangle is accountable to heal their own wounds. And amazing things happen. Once was a victim, people who once thought that they were victims will then turn around and see the humanity of their oppressor. And in that moment, they are no longer victims. They see them as wounded children, not justifying their behavior, not making it okay, not blaming the victim at first, you know, that's what happens. You know, you get this thing where you, the victim blames themselves and they have to do therapy to get over that self blame. And then, so when they hear someone like Misa saying, take accountability, it feels like I'm victim blaming and I totally get it. And it's, it's a, it's a uninformed uh, perception because if you really see the full, full picture, it's, to take full accountability for your own healing. So when you do, you can approach the conversation and actually approach it from a place of healing. And one instance was this woman who's been a victim for eight years, domestic violence. She reached out to me years ago, was really troubled by what I was saying and thought, wait, what if they treated you bad? And, and, I, and I said, and I was telling her, I said, look, he's accountable for his own healing. You're accountable for yours. When you do your own healing work, something magical shifts in the dynamic of the person that you once thought was a perpetrator monster. Something magical happens and it all leads to your own empowerment and healing. <clears throat> this is very controversial because there are a lot of therapists out there who believe, okay, there's a lot of therapists out there who believe that, that there's other activists actually that are are trying to do healing work, but coming from their own wounds. They have their own traumas that they haven't fully really repaired from. And they're teaching from a place of an open wound. And if you're going to a therapist or a coach or a healer, 
to heal something like your racial trauma, for example, if you've been the victim of racism or if you've been the victim of domestic violence and you go to a therapist who hasn't healed from their own traumas and dramas, and by healing means they don't see themselves as victims anymore, they see the whole dance and they, they have empowered themselves to no longer be um, at the effect and it disempowering and giving their power away to somebody no longer needing to be seen and heard by their oppressor. That's how you can tell when someone's really done their healing work. You can feel it in them. They're no longer angry. They don't come from a place of anger. When you, when you go to somebody who hasn't healed from their own wounds, whether it's racism trauma, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's sexual trauma, whether it's gay bashing, if the therapists themselves are still angry towards their oppressors, you're, you're going to be validated, which feels good. But you can just go up to your friends, call your friends up and say, you know, that guy was an asshole. That's right. That's right. You tell him. Yeah. High five. That feels good. You can get that from your friends. If you want healing, and I want you to understand my only concern in this conversation is about healing. If we want healing, then you must get help from somebody who actually has walked the path, has cried their tears, and done their own work. Otherwise, it comes from a covert racism place. Excuse me, covert narcissism place. So why am I talking about racism? Well, just three days ago, I come across the work of Dr. April Larder at Racism Recovery Center. At Racism Recovery Center. Dr. April Larder at Racism Recovery Center who is a black woman who helps white people actually heal from racism. And she put out this statement and she is one of the few people saying it. And it just blew my mind because this is exactly the same thing that I'm trying to teach people who've been victims in their past, the victims to their history, you can't heal from that drama tri triangle by staying stuck to that story. And that's controversial, but it's the truth. And she's saying the same thing about racism. And she puts up this, uh, this understanding of racism, that racism is cultural narcissism. That racism must be dealt with like a mental illness. It's not... Uh, it's not a justification for it, but it is covert or overt narcissism, right? And what, what's interesting about this is if you look up the symptoms of narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder, and you look up like overt racism, you'll see the exact same thing. It actually works through the exact same thing. And because narcissism is so ingrained in who we are, ingrained in uh, like covert narcissism is just it, what it is is a is a function of childhood trauma and racist racist white supremacist um, dominant like white dominant uh, structures that we're born into the legal system the educational system the systemic racism that's come up like our jail systems if you haven't watched the documentary on netflix called 13th you do that it shows you the systematic racism that 
basically causes um, black folk in America to be to start off on the back foot <laughs> basically and it's been going on for centuries and it's just like the prison systems are now just kind of like slavery are, are legal slavery now and it you just see the whole history in other words what I'm saying is we're all born into that system but if you have that plus childhood emotional abuse or physical abuse or you weren't seen and heard what ends up happening is the two together causes us to act towards people of color people in a lower dominant or I don't want to say people of color I'll say lower dominance class because the same thing happens in China or in Asia when you have like Malaysians and Laotians and Vietnamese the Chinese are the dominant class so they have the when they have their that's their racist framework that they have if you add that to emotional neglect which most of the time let's face it we all have varying spectrum degrees of that when you have that you now have a covert racism and racism what she describes must be dealt with in the same way with the with the exact same spectrum as narcissism and I'm gonna do a little test for you right now based on kind of like your level of covert racism because it's not a question of are you a racist <laughs> it's a question of what degree are we racists this is huge it's like 98% of us okay to what degree are you that's the first question you gotta answer and it's really uncomfortable to answer because we don't want to talk about it and the reason why we don't talk about it we get triggered by it that is what normally what normally is known as white fragility but what I discovered through Dr. April's work is that that's not white fragility white fragility doesn't even exist there is one of her podcasts that she wrote uh, that she did it's called white fragility doesn't exist look it up racism recovery center she did a podcast on this white fragility doesn't exist white fragility is actually a PTSD trauma re response to shame and like all like all narcissists we all have this trait what happens is when we experience the shame it's so uncomfortable that our unconscious defense mechanisms start putting up defenses and we don't really want to deal with it for example I'm gonna give you tons of examples for example the white live the, the all lives matter movement that's a form of covert racism I'm gonna to explain to you what it is uh, and how that is and it was a huge light bulb moment for me it was like oh my gosh this is an exact alignment with what I'm teaching all of my clients and students of healing their past trauma with their wounded inner child and their adaptive adolescent integrating those parts of you into your body changing the conversation with yourself first and if you can't and I, what I noticed was when I couldn't see myself and emotionally attend to myself there's no way that I could emotionally attend to a partner that's why all of my relationships became this narcissistic codependent cycle until I finally took on the work and met somebody and for the first time in my life I have a conscious relationship now we don't always get along we argue I sometimes fall into becoming selfish but I'm able to spot it I'm able to heal it I'm able to have a situation where I for the first time in my life 
have a relationship that is not the narcissist codependent cycle. It's, it's a healthy interdependence from codependency to interdependency. And what Dr. April is saying is that our relationship with racism, what's happening right now, where all of a sudden the, the anti-black, uh, sorry, the anti-racist movement starts coming up and starting to name and shame you for not doing enough, all of a sudden it leads white people going, uh, 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 what am I supposed to do? Okay, here, 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 take money, take the money, which is part of covert racism, which is, which is called saviorism. And it's part of the codependency. And what she's calling forward, just like I'm calling forward in the, the narcissist codependent dynamic, Okay, it's a dynamic between two people that if you want to change it, both parties are responsible for doing their own healing work. Not all will. You're responsible for your part of it. The other party is responsible for theirs. But still, just by throwing money at it doesn't take the problem away. Doesn't It's not doing the work. In fact, it's actually promoting the enmeshment between the narcissist dominant class and the codependent uh, disempowered class. And I say class because it can be black, white, whatever. And these dominance hierarchies, it's, it's cultural narcissism. That's why you can have a group of, of, of black kids and then there'll be one white kid and then those black kids will start picking on the white kid. That's not reverse racism. That's just covert. That's just covert, uh, covert racism. It's it's um, it's a form of it's a form of overt racism or covert racism. It's just racism. It's not reverse racism. It's just racism, and it happens with dominance hierarchies of dominance and minority. This happens in every system, and the only way to break free is to see your role in it. I'm the perpetrator. To own it, that's tough for white people to do. That's tough for the lighter skin people to do. And so I want to have this conversation for healing because the next question you're going to want to ask is, what do I do now? What do I do? I have these implicit biases, okay? I have these implicit biases going on. What do I do to solve this? Okay, I don't feel comfortable. This isn't comfortable for me. I get it. I have it. First and foremost, it's part of two, two reasons. Number one, you are born into a system that is embedded with racism with dominance being the white, especially if you're in the United States, the white is the dominant class, the blacks and Hispanics are the minorities, okay? So the people of color. So you're born into it, number one. So you can't help it. Even, even Hispanics and black people and everybody has it within them, okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's part of our society's mental illness as a cult cultural identity, is a mental illness, right? And not not like, and I'm not um, pathologizing it in the form of like you all have to take medication. No, 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 no. It's an acknowledgement. That's the first step. Is acknowledging. All right. I am born into a society where people of color are graded, and there's a dominance hierarchy, and this is where the pecking order is. Step one. And then step two is to heal your past traumas, is to take all of those experiences and traumas of 
your disconnection where you fragmented from your authentic self because your authentic self when you're born doesn't hate people different color it's actually downloaded onto you from the unconscious the mass collective unconsciousness we inherit it and so the next part of it is first acknowledging what it is the, that scheme that schema that framework and the second is healing with that wounded inner child because when you can identify and really connect and empathize with yourself only then are you going to have empathy for those that you once depressed that's it and it's not for for example it's not for feminists to tell their narcissistic uh, husbands or whatever to do their work it, it won't work it's never worked and it's not for black people to start sc screaming and saying you should be an anti-racist because what happens is and here's what happens with the movement. All of a sudden, the white person feels shame and guilt. Then they have defense mechanisms going up because they don't know how to process the emotions and they don't do their own healing work with it. They don't know how to do it. This is what we did in our uh, group uh, call last week is I held space for everybody in the group to actually connect with their racist selves. That's not really done because we usually are used to shaming. <laughs> We're used to shaming people. This is how we do it because we're we're talking from a wound. Now, if I hadn't healed from my racial trauma, if I hadn't healed from my racial trauma, which is different from black people's racial trauma, I acknowledge that, but I had it myself to the point where I was beaten, I was called names, I was excluded from things, I hated myself because of it. So I healed from that racial trauma. If I hadn't healed from that racial trauma, every white person that came into my office, I would have had, I would have had resentment for. Every white person who asked me, are you Indian? Because I'm Persian. If I hadn't dealt with my racial trauma, if they called mistakenly, innocently said, um, hey, Dr. Nima, you're Indian, right? I would have just been like, fuck you. I'm not Indian. I'm Persian. That's the version of me that hasn't healed from my racial trauma. That's how I would respond. Does that make sense? I would respond from my own racial trauma, like violently towards somebody who is a covert narcissist, excuse me, a covert racist. When you don't know, when you haven't healed from your traumas, you don't know the difference between a covert and an overt racist. You paint them all in one, under one, right? And so if I, if you, let me say that again. If you haven't healed from your racial traumas, or if you're any trauma, if you're gay and you've been you know marginalized because of your homosexuality and you're angry at straight people and you have you know all the story of homophobia and stuff like that if you haven't healed from your gay bashing trauma you will likely act out in very aggressive triggered ways and i'm not blaming you i'm just talking about human behavior based on the nervous system no judgment towards that we're all on our own journey and we all have healing to do and it's it's never, it, you know, it's never, you're never done. It's never finished. Okay. So if you don't, if I don't do that, my own healing work, then I can't help white people. <laughs> I, cause you'll say something that's ignorant and I'm going to jump down your fucking throat, make you wrong for it. And then you drop into shame and then you go, okay, here, what do I got to do to make it go away? Let me pay you. And you know, you've seen that behavior with narcissistic parents. Who feel guilty they want to throw money at it it's the same system 
it's the same system. It was mind blowing for Dr. April to introduce me to this reality. And it was like, yes, it was like a light bulb. It was like, oh, this changes the game in racism recovery. This changes the game in healing from toxic relationships. What she said that was really tough. She goes, I get, I get really um, hate, hate a lot of haters and trolls that are mad at me because I hold black people accountable to healing their own racial traumas. And she admitted there was a period of time she was an anti-racism uh, activist. She's an anti-racism activist, but she hadn't healed her own racial traumas. So she was uh, naming and shaming and she realized that wasn't actually healing. And she explained this to me during a yoga class. She does this yoga class where she was doing her own healing work with her inner child and healing her racial traumas. And it just hit her one day. She's like, oh my God, covert racists. They don't know they're racist. They have no idea that they're racist. They're acting out of a complete not knowing. They are completely acting out of not knowing. And it's, and, and, and they don't know that they don't know. And so she started to have, dare I say it, compassion for racist white people. That's how you know you've done the healing work. This is how you know you've done the healing work. When you have gotten so good with yourself that you no longer need to be seen by the other oppressed person and that you now see past their wounding and their behavior and you see you don't see a monster anymore you don't see them above you you see them as these poor little weak souls who are acting out of their unconsciousness that's how i can tell because i've been doing this work a lot and i've i watch people i watch ted talks i watch activists i listen to uh therapists online i follow a lot and you can tell the ones who've actually done their own healing work and the ones who are still victims of their own racial traumas and what dr larder dr april is saying is that everybody is responsible for their own she holds she holds people accountable everyone accountable to healing their own wounds and when they don't heal their own wounds what happens is they respond with you know anti-black movement you gotta shut up you gotta stay silent you gotta let us talk you gotta pay us and what she says is that that doesn't heal racism because now white people are scared and they say here take money it doesn't heal racism it creates what's called saviorism and performance at performative allyship let me say this again performative allyship in other words i'm gonna I'm going to pay you, I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to give you the platform because I want to look good, because it's going to look good for me, because it's going to be socially acceptable. It's going to uh, uh, make me look good in the eyes of others. That's virtue signaling, and that quiets them down temporarily, the whole dynamic, but it doesn't actually heal the root cause of the racism, which is we are still in this system number one and number two 
we have unresolved childhood woundings that have us feeling not seen and not heard. And in a moment where we don't feel seen and heard, we want to blame people of color lower down in the totem pole of, di of our diversity, of our uh, pecking order. We, we put them down because we ourselves feel unworthy. Because when you are a whole, complete, healthy person, you don't treat other people like shit. You don't marginalize other people. Now, I'm going to go over a list. Let me know if this is landing for you. I'm going to go over a list of questions to see, not if you're a covert racist, because the chances are you are. If you're in this society, if, you have a, if you're in this society, chances are you are a covert racist. We all are. <laughs> what I discovered, it, that was not comfortable for me to discover. Oh my God, I was embarrassed. It was embarrassing. I was like, <gasps> and then I felt the shame and then I felt the defense mechanisms come up, which is a classic um, uh, sign of covert narcissism when you don't want to own it. This is what we all have. Let me know if you can, let me know if you can empathize <laughs> with me right now. So, <clears throat> so there's two types, overt and covert narcissism. And it's a spectrum. What she's, suspect, what she's proposing is that we have it as a spectrum, much like narcissistic personality disorder. So check this out. On one end of the spectrum of the whole racism, you have the abolitionist who is like, like, you know, this person, let me know if you're, if you're, what, where do you fall on the racism spectrum? Okay. So down at the bottom of racism, at the very bottom, you're an abolitionist. If you're a white person, you're an abolitionist where you, you would you make a statement like this. I will put my safety and freedom and health on the line to fight for people of color. Now you're an abolitionist. You're not a racist. You, you are like literally will put yourself on the line because you feel that strongly about it. You're an abolitionist. And there are many white people who are there. I'm going to tell you as I, as I go through this, this kind of spectrum so you can see where you fit in and where covert racism begins. This is very useful. Okay, it's extremely useful. An abolitionist will put my safety and health and freedom on the line to fight for people of color. The next part is allyship where you say systemic racism is real, you acknowledge that systemic racism is real, and it has to be ended. If you feel that that's true and you know it, here's the thing, you can't bullshit. If you're saying, eh, there's not really systemic racism, I don't see it, then you have covert racism. Because if you can identify and know that it's real, then you move in towards allyship. If you want help with that, watch the movie The 13th. It's on Netflix. The 13th talks about the prison systems and I was moved to tears about three times and I actually felt the pain and I was like, oh my God, like we got to do something. Like it's like, it's real. It's like that movie will help you. It's a, an amazing movie. This movie I recommend it to you to watch. It will help you tremendously. Number two, the next level up is awareness. This is the awareness where you realize my experience as a white person is drastically different than people of color. Once you acknowledge that, you've now moved to awareness of the system. Now, here's where, if you start moving this way, your covert racism begins. If you've ever caught yourself saying, you know what, let me just amplify some black voices because this is gonna you know, help me with my reputation. 
I just want to put up, I want to post up Black Lives Matter all over. That's virtue signaling. This is what you've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. I admit I was part of that. When I posted it, I was like, somebody shamed me for not saying anything about it. I was like, fuck, okay, I'm going to put up a black square because I want everybody to know that I'm working for you. I'm not a racist. That is where the covert racism begins. That's when we do what's called performative allyship. I'm doing a performance. Now, it's better than fucking burning crosses, of course, but it doesn't actually heal the cause of your racism. It makes you look good. It's good for your reputation. Next level up is called woke justification. Woke justification. When you hear people saying, but come on, black, li black lives matter. Oh, come on, love conquers all. Sorry for what you're going through, but love conquers all. White lives, white lives matter. All lives matter. We're all children of God. This is a defense mechanism to block the shame of the covert narcissist slash covert racist. And what we do then in those situations is we, we basically try not to feel the pain of it. So we kind of brush it aside and go, all lives matter. No, no, no. But, but you're not getting it. It's not about all lives. We're just acknowledging the pain of black people. This is very real. It's, it's like it's an acknowledgement. No, but all lives matter. That is covert. That's covert narcissism, covert racism. What's up, Kia? <coughs> you're going to want to back. You want, you're going to want to go back and watch this again, bro. Um, so woke justification. So here's the next part. The next after woke justification, you move up. You now become the white savior. White savior is, okay, if you have the belief, well, there's no need for people of color to have their own safe spaces. Come on. Why can they use the N-word and we not? Okay? Why? They use the N-word. We should be able to use it too. That is when you get to a covert racism called white saviorism. And white guilt, okay, when you say uh, we are one, that's... All of a sudden, the white guilt starts to, from this point, start to lead to things like denial. You could be in the next stage of denial. You have this guilt. Um, is this info? Yes, it is. Absolutely. This is all from, that's all from uh, Ali. Absolutely. White guilt uh, then leads to uh, guilt and shame, which then goes into denial. Okay? It's kind of like, this happens with Jew, Jew, Jew excuse me. Jews as well with the concentration camps. There are people out there that are still trying to deny that the concentration camps even existed. This is a classic case of denial. It's covert racism. No, it didn't happen. If you say, come on, those people who say slavery ended 200 years ago, come on, they signed the thing, it's ended. There's no ra racism doesn't actually exist anymore. Quite the contrary, we have affirmative action and now black people are going to get more, they have the advantage now because they so-and-so is happening and that, my friend, is covert racism. That is denial that it's even happening, okay? Racism no longer exists. If you see this, say, I don't see color. That's a form of denial. Next one is justification. You then move up. Whenever you hear someone say, I have black friends, that is a form of covert racism. It's a justification. 
Well, you have to justify it's it's our natural narcissistic defense mechanisms coming up because we don't want to own up to the fact that we have covert racism i'm not racist i have many black friends it's a justification for whatever you're about to say um if you find yourself saying the words those black people you know if they would just if only they would just stop being so whatever that is a justification of covert racism then it keeps going up to defensiveness. You know, you say, well, wait, what about reverse racism? What about reverse racism? What about black people are, are, are getting all the advantages now because of affirmative action? That's defensiveness. That's another sign of covert racism. Let me know if you can resonate with this. Um, or if you say things like, come on, it's just, I'm just being a joke. That's just a joke, right? then you're in coat your covert racist you don't know it you don't like the shame so you say it's just a joke or when you say hey come on what about black people killing black people what about that black on when you point out black on black crime as a justification or defense against what's going on that's covert racism that's exactly what happens with narcissism Next level is you become indifferent towards it, okay? The covert racist will, will show signs of indifference. Like, hey, it's not about me. This is not about me. So I don't really have to worry about it. It's not about me, right? And then we keep going with subconscious racism. Subconscious racism is not in the top of your mind, but it's there. Like if you wear a black face, <laughs> which I find hilarious because 20 years ago, the Prime Minister of Canada for a Halloween party, for a Halloween party, was taking a picture and he had blackface on. Okay? So he had blackface. So that's subconscious racism. He didn't even know it. And it's funny because he was kind of seen kneeling and with his head down and it was totally doctored up for the, for the photographs. Um, for the Black Lives Matter movement. You see the, the Prime Minister getting on one knee and looking down. And you just look at it. Look it up. Just look at his body language. It's all a performance. That's performative allyship. It's like, I'm going to get down on one knee and do that. When 20 years ago, he had uh, blackface. <laughs> That's subconscious racism, our Prime Minister. That's how, like, our Prime Minister has it. <laughs> well, we know the President has it. I mean, I don't have to show you evidence that the President of the United States is a racist. Like, he's running the freaking country. Like, we have racists running our countries. It's been happening since day one. It hasn't changed. It's just covert racism now. That's the difference, which is narcissism. <clears throat> I'm not a racist, but if you ever find yourself saying, you know what, I'm not a racist, but I'm about to say something racist. That's covert racism. That is subconscious racism. You know, when you say, if you ever caught yourself looking and you see a black person uh, driving a really nice car and the thought enters your mind, I wonder where he stole that from. Boom. That is subconscious racism. And I've caught myself doing that. I'm incredibly ashamed and... I'd rather not talk about it or think about it, but that's not what the work is. The work is actually feeling the shame. <laughs> that's how we actually hear this. That's how we heal this. We heal this by owning it. We heal this by doing something that takes courage, by saying, yeah, that's me. And then, of course, 
if you hear have said, oh, but this, what's happening is all part of God's will. That's subconscious racism. Um, even though that might be true, that God's will, a divine plan, to overstep the shame and feeling and sh of shame and guilt about it and going and skipping right to God's plan without doing the work is, uh, will perpetuate racism. It doesn't heal racism. Saying it's all part of God's plan doesn't heal racism, okay? And the next part is when, from this point, is when racism becomes overt. This is where, you know, you say things like, send them back to Africa. You use the N-word. Like, me and I have full disclosure, full disclosure, I've been called a sand nigger. Me and my, I have black friends that we banter back and forth and talk about these things. I have one guy who, one of my black friends who we actually say those words to one another. But here's the difference. We know each other and there's a context there that there's a safety that he and I have together. I wouldn't go off doing that to somebody that I don't have that safety with. There's a boundary. Like, this is all, this is boundary work. Using those words is really about boundary. It's never, it's not about not joking. It's kind of, it's, it's really understanding boundaries. It's like, you know, when Chris Rock goes off and says stuff or Dave Chappelle, you know, and he does those. Understanding boundaries is different than you can't say it, I can't say it. If you haven't done your work, and you haven't cleared your shame, then you're a little bit weird. You ha you don't know boundaries. You don't understand boundaries. So when you, you know, when your overt racism doesn't necessarily mean you can't joke about it. It's a boundary issue. But if you hear people overtly saying, "Send them back to Africa," you n, you're a this, you're a that. That's overt racism. So if you've ever caught yourself doing that, then that that's where you are. And here's what she says. Here's what Dr. Larder. You've been listening to the Trigger Proof podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is nervous system regulation. Becoming trigger proof doesn't mean trigger less. It means learning how to regulate ourselves to bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds anytime there's reactivity there's a wound and if you're curious and inspired to learn more join us at breathwork and badassery or the overview experience and a combination of both actually helps you do the work there's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. April says, just like narciss overt narcissism is very difficult to beat because you can't because overt narcissists don't uh, know that they are, don't want to admit it and they don't actually have any um, uh, self-awareness to be able to take ownership and heal it right so 
in all likelihood that doesn't heal. But covert racism is different. Covert can, just like narcissism, if you're willing to do the healing work, it doesn't go away by just throwing money and doing performative allyship or being the savior, right? And the, the, the last part, the, the, tough, the top part of terrorism, because I just took you on a journey through, terror, uh, through racism and the different levels. The very top is when you are a terrorist, terrorist racism, like you enjoy uh, hurt, hurting black people. You uh, get enjoyment of the lynching, the beatings, uh, let, let's um, let's pick on and bully black kids, and and and, and like bullying them. That's that, that becomes terrorism. Okay, let's lynch them. Let's um, uh, well, Derek Chauvin, the guy who murdered uh, George Floyd, great example. Okay, so that's terrorism. So you now see the spectrum of racism, and here's the biggest part. Racism will not be healed, will not be healed by shouting and shaming. It can only be healed by who? By white people themselves. So what do you do as a white person? That's the, the answer. Number one is acknowledge. Acknowledge that you are, you do have an unfair advantage and acknowledge that you're part of a racist system. It's part of you. It's inborn in you, number one you have covert race that was very difficult for me as a person of color but then i realized it's in persians persians have it against blacks <laughs> uh, we have it against chinese we have like a racist slur for every ethnic thing you know we, we, it's just part of how we grew up right it was like oh shit yeah okay it's how i grew up I, I i'm not a bad person because of it okay that's the first thing i'm not a bad person even though there's a lot of angry unhealed people making me the covert racist, pinning me in the same pile as all the people who burn crosses. It, it happens that way, <clears throat> which just happened to me just a couple days ago. It was like, whoa, it was traumatic for me, which has led me into doing the work and sharing what I just discovered with you. And um, it happens with white people saying, okay, I see that racist framework, number one. Number two, I'm going to go all in with healing with my inner child. The part of me that felt marginalized from my parents, the part of me that didn't feel seen and heard, the part of me that was emotionally and physically abused, the part of me that was neglected, because if I don't heal with that part of me, I can't empathize with people of color. Let me say that again. If I don't heal with that part of me properly, I will not empathize i won't solve the problem i can't just paypal it away or venmo and okay i've just donated to this black charity i'm good now i'm good it doesn't work that way <laughs> and what what's interesting is the people like myself who've experienced racism if you have let me know say i i have your responsibility is and this is of any color even white people who've experienced racism of any color, your responsibility then becomes to actually heal from those racial traumas. Because you cannot help the situation without you taking accountability for your own healing. What you're doing is you're delegating it to white people or to the, to the oppressors. And what happens is when you do, you create codependency. You're meshed with them. When you take the money, 
all of a sudden now you're, you're, you become codependent on them. And then you feel betrayed once again when a few months later, the truth that they haven't really healed comes, comes through and you're like, oh my God, I feel betrayed by, my white, by these white people who said that they were going to come and save me. It just perpetuates the problem. My only, my only concern is that of healing. And so I'm so delighted to be able to have um, Dr. Ali uh, Larder. I'm gonna, she's going to be a guest on my show, and we're going to do that in my Facebook group. Uh, it's called Trigger Proof. I mean, you're in it right now. I'm, I'm talking to you if you're on Instagram. The link is in the bio. Jump in and join the conversation. Um, it's going to be badass, and I really want to, my whole goal, my only um, concern is not to blame victims, is not to make uh, white people right and black people wrong. I'm not anti-black, I'm not pro-black, I'm not, I'm, I, I want, my only concern is healing, is to hold people accountable to their own healing, because from that place of comp from our healing ourselves, we then have compassion towards ourselves and we're able to really heal the wound and, and, and to, to acknowledge the pain, to acknowledge our own pain first and heal our own pain. And then we show up empathizing with the other person so that they don't feel shamed, they feel seen and heard. And now we have a, we have a, a conversation about healing. And this is what I absolutely love and we have Upcoming, we have in, in our Facebook group, in our community, in this community, we have events that are designed specifically to go back and heal with your wounded parts. This month coming up, I want to invite you, if you feel called to this conversation, you want to actually do your part, you've already you know, donated and you've taken the courses and all that stuff, okay, great. If you actually now want to do your own healing, we have a breathwork and badassery that's focused on healing with the father wound. Your father wound, they could have been a racist too. My, racism, homophobic, whatever they are, and you have that resentment. That disconnection from dad is contributing to the breakdown of your life, of not feeling seen and heard. And I'm, in two weeks' time, going to be on my baby moon in Tofino, British Columbia, with my parents, and my father is going to be joining... And I'm going to be doing the breath work uh, and inner child meditation. My dad will be there as well. I don't know if he's going to be sitting in to the whole thing. That's up to him. But I've completely shifted my relationship with my parents because I was victim to them and not feeling seen to narcissistic parents. And I was just wanting for them to see me. And why won't they have empathy? And they're so my oppressors. And then I realized I was being a covert narcissist myself, not actually empathizing with them. And when I took care of my own wounds, I took care and I healed from that covert narcissism, covert and overt narcissism. Not only was I able to heal with my parents, I was able to empathize with my oppressors. My relationship with them completely changed. And then as a result, my nervous system became more regulated. I mastered these tools of healing with my younger self, of your what I call your trigger-proof toolkit. It's what I teach with, with uh, my clients. Um, I was able to attract a secure attachment that was a healthy interdependence rather than the codependence that I had. And it's so beautiful that this racism conversation is overlapping so well with the conversation of uh, the narcissist codependent cycle, the trauma cycle, the drama triangle, 
Uh, it works the same way with racism. It works the same way with uh, with gay, LGBTQ, any type of trauma that you feel suppressed and oppressed by towards an oppressor can actually be healed. But you must be willing to take accountability for your own healing of your traumas. When you do, all of a sudden, you don't feel as oppressed anymore. That's the beauty of it. There's a freedom and a lightness that comes through on the other side. And that's what I want for you. I want you to um, own up to your truth. And the truth, not to blame and shame you, but just to recognize where you came from and that it didn't start with you, but it can end with you. And let me know what was your um, biggest takeaway from this. And if you have any questions and you really want to learn more about becoming trigger proof, send me a DM and say, I want the training. Uh, just do, do I uh, tag somebody in, in this post, really like who really needs to hear this, please tag them in here and request, um, request, you know, send me the training. I have a 90 minute training on how to heal that past uh, and regulate your nervous system so that you can actually show up a more integrated individual, not from a place of open wounds, but you can enter the conversation from healed scars. You want to you want to talk from a place of your scars. You want to teach people. You want to connect with people from a place of your scars, not your open wounds projecting on looking for a savior. The savior is you. The savior um, to this whole hero's journey is you. And when you become the he he healer to yourself, all of a sudden everything changes. And I stand for healed families. And uh, that's the nature of the work that I do. And this is what I'm dedicated to. Let me know what was most relevant for you. But at the end of the day, um, it all comes down to you. you. For change, there are three stages. Three stages to change. Stage number one is contemplation. You might be listening to this and go, hmm, I think I need some healing to do. That's number one. Okay. Second stage is preparation. You're like, all right. I'm going to invest the time and the resources and I'm going to look for somebody that I trust that's going to help me heal my attachment wounds and acknowledge, you know, and get all the information possible to acknowledge the system that I'm in so I can wake up from this matrix. So that's the preparation stage. And the third one is action. Um, wherever you are on that, welcome to the conversation. I want to help. I want to be there to guide. Join my fa Facebook group uh, if you you haven't already and ask me any question and I'm happy to drop drop a um, uh, I'm happy to drop this uh, here and you know to to shift implicit biases that we have is first to acknowledge and feel the shame of it. It's not to try to numb it. It's not to try to demartini it away but to actually feel it and then heal with the wounded younger parts that feel like we need to marginalize other people because we don't feel full within ourselves. That's the work. And that's what I love teaching. Um, ask me for a training and I'll send you the DM uh, on DM uh, with a promo code, giving it to you absolutely free. I'd love to give that training away and make sure you join the Facebook group if you haven't already. And we'll see you at the next perfect time. Oh, uh, Join us for the breathwork and badassery with inner child meditation. The link is in my bio. I'm going to send. I'm going to send it to you uh, in the uh, comment section on Facebook. Jump in. Open up three hours on on Father's Day. 
It's in the afternoon or evening or early morning next day after Father's Day if you're in Australia. Uh, and join us for those three hours of healing with the Father Bond. This is the most important aspect of the conversation. When you're ready to actually take action on it, that's your first step I'm going to invite you to, to take. And I look forward to sharing and crossing paths with you at the next perfect time.